this morning. But that, that's a great thought, is it not? What a, what a great truth that God in his sovereignty, God who is transcendent over time and space, God who is above all and everything is contained in him, that God would allow you and I the privilege of being involved in his work of changing lives for all of eternity, that God would use us in some small ways to partner with him. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series uh, this morning called Five Star, the five uh, habits of healthy members. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the term five star as something that is considered first class or of the best quality. It lists as synonyms the following awesome, bang up, banner, blue chip, blue ribbon, dope. Do you get that? Dope. Dynamite, fantabulous. I don't know if that's a word or not. Grand, great, groovy, par excellence, splendid, stellar, top notch, top of the line. The antonyms listed for five star are atrocious, lousy, pathetic, poor, rotten, terrible, vile, and wretched. We speak of the rarity and luxury of a five-star dining experience or a five-star hotel should they attain to that, that rating. We talk of uh, top-ranked sports recruits going into college, high school recruits. We talk about them being at the very top level, five-star recruits. Five-star is a term used to signify the best of the best. You know, Reese, I don't know if you've been watching the news or you've been alive, uh, but if you have been, Chick-fil-A has been a bit of a media firestorm. Have you seen that the last uh, few days here, last few weeks? And uh, they'll be there stand over the biblical definition of marriage. And I, listen, I have incredible respect for any individual or business that chooses conviction over cash. Okay? And so that's an incredible stand. Not a stand that everyone's uh, willing to make. But uh, one of my favorite Chick-fil-A leadership stories uh, is, is the story of Truett Cathy and his response to the prospect of losing some market share uh, to Boston, the Boston market chain. Apparently, at a point in time, Boston market was coming on the scene pretty strong, and they were in some new markets that Chick-fil-A wanted to be in, so they were kind of uh, losing some markets share to, to uh, Boston market, and some of those changed, and so they had this big meeting. They said, hey, here, here's where we're growing, and here's how Boston market's growing, and here's the markets they're in, and here's the markets we would love to be in, and how are we going to fix this? And so they had all these things about how do we grow bigger, and how do we expand, and how do we enlarge our company, and how do we have more stores, and just went on and on, and they hashed it out in this boardroom. And then they said, in an uncharacteristic display of emotion, Truett Cathy had enough and stood to his feet and gently put his fist down on the table and said this. He said, I'm tired of all this talk about getting bigger. We need to talk about getting better because if we focus on getting better, then our customers will demand that we get bigger. End of meeting. And it's no coincidence that in every place you drive around, there's development, you see a Chick-fil-A popping up and you have to drive a long time and search very hard to find a Boston market that's still in operation. Well, that's saying is quality produces quantity. We believe that in the church. But one of our core values that we talk about on the staff is this, is that we believe this, that, that we're to attend to the depth of our ministry and God will attend to the, the width of our ministry or the breadth of our ministry, that we're to produce changed lives because we know that the greatest advertisement for the gospel for those who do not yet attend is the changed life of someone with the power of Jesus Christ. And so we're oftentimes asking, how do we make better disciples? How do we partner with God and seeing lives change for his glory? Because when people see changed lives, then guess what? You don't have to drag or manipulate or guilt them into coming to church. They want to find out what is going on and what God is up to. And so, so many times churches lose that focus and, and the focus becomes drawing a crowd. 
But the reality is there's a marked difference between a crowd and a church. Jesus said, I will build my church. He never said, I will draw my crowds. As a matter of fact, in the Gospels, when we see Jesus, a large crowd would gather and he was doing miracles and everybody wanted to get on the bandwagon. This was so cool. Uh, he was an expert at dispensing crowds. They would get in and they would come along for the show and he would throw down the gauntlet and say, hey, listen, if you really want to follow me, this is what it requires and this is what it looks like. And the Bible says in John chapter six that from that day forward, many followed him no more. And so he's going to build his church. And so we're all the time asking, what does it look like to build up members? What what does it look like to partner with God and transforming lives in that process? And so some of you have been going to church for years. Some of you have been coming here for weeks. Some of you just uh, sometime in between there. And so the question naturally arises, if you ever attend a church or connect yourself to a church through membership is this. What does the church expect of me? I mean, what, what exactly do they, do they expect me to do and, and how is my partnership and what's my level of commitment? And so, and so that question uh, is kind of the thesis of this series that we're starting today called Five Star, uh, The Habits of Healthy Membership. And so let me invite you to have a Bible this morning. We're going to look at the first habit, this of a five-star member. Five-star members serve Christ faithfully. So we're going to look this morning together in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not preaching this series through a book, but rather picking some selected passages. And so this morning we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and some parallel passages uh, along with that. I've often said this, uh, preaching in the church is very much like teaching, I would assume, in a one-room schoolhouse. How many of you went to a one-room school? How many of you are that old? Is anybody? I didn't want anybody to raise their hand, but if you did. Hey, listen, uh, in that one room schoolhouse I mean, you're teaching people at this education level, 11th, 12th grade, and you're teaching little ones and trying to do that all. Well, the church is sometimes like that, that when we gather together corporately, some of you have been walking with Christ for half a century. Some of you here are still considering the claims of Christ. You're still checking this thing out and you're not sure. And there's some things you like, but there's things you don't like. So you're kind of still sifting all through that. And most of you fall somewhere in between that. And so uh, what we're going to cover today for some of you, you've never heard before, you've never thought about. And for some of you, this is some familiar territory uh, that we're going to walk through in First Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to look at this idea that everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who's a born again believer is gifted and called to ministry. I'm not the minister here, okay? You're called to be the, the ministers. And God has equipped you and God has gifted you in such a way. And so we're going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about this idea that God has called me to ministry. God has gifted me to ministry. And my ministry can make a difference. Now, if you ever want to follow any teaching on spiritual gifts, uh, you want to find out where's that at in the Bible. It's real easy to remember that, okay? It's in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4. Those are the four key passages. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter 4, and Ephesians 4, the primary text relating to this idea that God has gifted me if I'm a follower. God has gifted me and expects me to use my gift, and my gift actually makes a difference. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, we're going to look in verses 1 through 7 this morning. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of 
all. Well, this morning, walking through this text again, we're just kind of kind of the 30,000 feet view. and We're just kind of hit the basics and the highlights of this idea that I am gifted and called to serve in ministry. And being a five star member requires that I'm serving Christ faithfully through the vehicle of the local church. And so uh, let me give you the word on gifts here. It helps me to do this, that if I'm trying to understand something, trying to quantify it, trying to break it down a little bit. It helps me in my understanding to kind of identify some things that it's not. And there's a lot of things about spiritual gifts in my conversations with people that they said, oh, it's I have this gift or I had this gift or I had this gift or you know, the different things. There's so much confusion about this. So let me tell you some things that a spiritual gift is not that you can write these things down to help distinguish between the two. The first off is this. A spiritual gift is not the same as a natural talent. So it's not the same thing. Everyone is born with some kind of natural talent. Some of you have lots of talents. Some of you have just a few talents, a few things that you focus in on. Uh, but, but some people have different natural talents. And so sometimes uh, people would say this. Well, I have the gift of working with my hands. Now, listen, I've never said that about myself. I was the only kid in, in shop in high school who got an F on the uh, gumball dispenser. OK, I, I can't in our house when something needs fixed. We have a system that it works really well. Tasha does it. I pray for her. I mean, it just it works really well in our house. OK. But I've met some people. I wish that were not a joke. That's really that's really it's true. I've met some people who think that my spiritual gift is working with hands or my spiritual gift is I can sing or my spiritual gift is writing. But listen, those are natural talents that everyone's given at physical birth. You have some kind of natural talent with athletic talent, uh, speaking talent, seeing talent, those kinds of things. And your talent may be the vehicle that you express your gift through, but they're not the same because everyone ever born has some kind of. Of talent, so they're not the same as the natural talent. Uh, secondly, spiritual gifts are not the same as if they're not a fruit of the spirit. It's not something that it's a fruit of the spirit. And so, as I begin to get more sanctified and more set apart, I'm growing in Christ, and then those those things just naturally come out of me. The fruits of the spirit are character qualities. Nine of them listed in Galatians chapter five: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, all believers are to be manifesting those as we grow in Christ. So it's not like, well, I don't have the gift of gentleness. Right? I don't have the gift of love. I don't have the gift of joy. I don't have the gift of peace. Listen, it's the fruit singular of the spirit. All of those things are to be represented in a growing Christian's life. So it's not the same as the fruit of the spirit. And uh, spiritual gifts are not the same as your ministry roles. Okay, again, those may be the vehicle. There's no such thing as the I have the gift of youth work. Or I had the gift of, of uh, never heard anybody say this, but I had the gift of nursery work. I've never heard that, but there was a gift, right? Or I have the gift of writing Christian music, or I have the gift of urban uh, ministry. Those are simply cases where believers are using their gifts, like teaching and leading and administration and ministry, uh, to make a difference. But your role is not the same as your gift. It's more the vehicle that it plays out in, okay? And here's the last one I want to tell you that gifts are not to help you identify this. We'll get in the text here. Uh, gifts are not chosen by the individual. Gifts are not chosen by the individual. And I've seen a lot of this where people kind of think, you know what? That gift sounds pretty cool and, and I would love to have that gift. And so I'm going to choose that as my spiritual gift. And oftentimes the gift that people choose that they don't have is a speaking gift. There are different categories of gifts. We'd say serving gifts and speaking gifts and sign gifts. And there's a lot of debate about sign gifts. All right. Uh, but so a lot of people who don't have speaking gifts want to choose that one. Have you ever sat and listened to someone teach that it was obvious that wasn't their spiritual gift? Anybody done that before? How many of you are feeling like that right now? If you would just, yeah, no one. God bless no one. I didn't see those hands over there. I hope you get saved today. So uh, it is it is not chosen. All right. Where do you get that from? First Corinthians chapter 12. 
Let's look a little beyond the text that we read this morning. Verse 11. But one of the same spirit works all these things. Listen, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so whatever spiritual gift I have, guess what? It was sovereignly bestowed on me by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there's probably a gift mix and you probably got some primary gifts and some lesser gifts. And there's probably a gift mix and we're not, we'll get that just a little bit here. But uh, but so many times I have met people who are so frustrated because they want to serve and they try and get in the area, but they're obviously not gifted for it. And they're frustrated. Or again, uh, I've met people who are uh, someone's on their team and this person's trying to serve and force the issue. But it's obvious they're not gifted in the area of teaching. Most often that happens. Uh, and so people just get frustrated and everyone can see it. Everyone says, hey, you're probably not gifted that area, but they just they're totally blind to that. They don't recognize they don't get to choose that God gives it. I've told people this. How do you know if you don't have the gift of teaching? Because, again, that's happened over and over. People say, oh, I want to teach. I'm a teacher. and God's called me to teach. And everyone's sitting in their group of their classes like, no, no. Listen, here's a good rule of thumb on the gift, that gift that so many people desire to be up front and to teach. If people know less about the Bible after you taught than when they did before you started, you probably don't have the gift of teaching. Just just throwing that out there, okay? But you don't get to choose. And listen, here's the deal. When God's in his sovereignty bestows me with a spiritual gift, guess what? It's the exact one that he equipped me for to do some kind of ministry in a way that no one else can do it because of my unique gift mix. And so that's something that we get to choose. This is over and over again, those parallel passages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says gifts are given, not chosen. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 says, having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each one has received a gift. And some of you may feel a lot of discouragement. You think, you know what, my gift is, seems insignificant or my gift is so behind the scenes. I'm, my gift is more in the serving gifts kind of category. But guess what? Don't ever get discouraged how God has gifted you because the reality is God in his sovereignty equipped you to do something that no one else can do in such a way that no one else can do it. So you have the exact gift you need to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And I made it up front. I mean, folks may not recognize it, but guess what? It's the one that God chose for you and use it for his glory and the advancement of the gospel. So those are some things that spiritual gifts are not often confused about. And so let me give you some things that spiritual gifts are. Let me start off with a definition here this morning to kind of center on this idea. What is a spiritual gift? This isn't a perfect definition, but it's kind of one that I've settled in on. Spiritual gift is a God given ability which enables a believer to effectively serve and build up the church. It is a God-given ability which enables a believer to effectively serve and build up the church. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in church where there's hundreds of people, maybe some churches thousands, maybe some church dozens, anytime you have a group of people gathered together who have a sin nature, you have the potential, and I want to say great potential, for a lot of dysfunction. Can I get a witness this morning? Yeah, nobody's ever seen that in a church. Anybody ever seen that? Can you say amen? Yeah. Listen, you get a bunch of sinful people rattling around together, uh, getting in the flesh sometimes, getting getting uh, spiritual blinders on about their agenda and this project and these efforts and those kind of things. You have the potential to bump up against each other in a very dysfunctional way. 
But despite all the challenges of working together for a common cause, despite all the different personalities in this room, despite all the stories we could tell of churches getting all jacked up and dysfunctional, guess what? Despite all of those realities that we all know, the Bible still teaches that the local church is the vehicle that God has chosen to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this church, when we get it right, and every other church gathered together, coveting together, living in community, when we get it right, then guess what? We are to be the gospel made visible for those watching around us. And I've got to tell you, in 11 years and pastoring, walking through conflicts and all those kinds of things, uh, there have been times that I have thought, God, is there an easier way than the local church? I mean, God, is there something else besides the church that you could advance the gospel? Is there some other opportunity or option? And sometimes it feels like uh, it's one step forward and two steps back. But that's God's plan. And the crazy thing is this. That under the banner of divine sovereign prerogative, God is working his plan and he allows you and I the privilege of being involved in his plan of using the gospel to change people's lives for all of eternity. And so it's not do I have to serve, it's I get to serve and partner with God as he changes lives for his glory. And so we've defined what gifts are. Let's continue to flesh that out just a little bit. We're going to center on one verse here, kind of the key verse in this passage. Spiritual gifts are what? We've said what they're not. We've given a definition. Let's flesh out just a little bit. Spiritual gifts, number one, are possessed by every believer. Possessed by every believer. Every pastor has had a member at one time say this. I'm just not gifted for anything. Now, there have been a few occasions where I've looked at a person and I said, you know, you're probably right. I I never never have. Or pastor, I've heard this. I just don't have the gift of nursery work. I don't have a, I don't know what my gifts are. And the reality is you may be ignorant of this idea of spiritual gifts. You may be confused about what spiritual gifts are. You may be frustrated because you've heard this taught, but you've never found a vehicle for what that looks like for you to flesh it out and do your part in the body of Christ. But the reality is there is no debate on the issue that everyone born again by the spirit of God has a spiritual gift deposited in them just waiting to be activated. Bible leaves no doubt. Listen to these verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given in us. It doesn't say anyone. It doesn't have some people have different gifts. It says we have different gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. This text here. Look at verse 7. It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Every single believer. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And so the repeated expressions, we have different gifts into each one and to each one of us. Romans, he uses the word gifts here in first Corinthians. He says manifestation of the spirit in Ephesians. He simply says grace, but he's talking about the same thing in every context. And he's talking about spiritual gifts. And the clear conclusion is this, is that every person sitting in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ has a spiritual gift or gift mix inside of them, just waiting to be unleashed for the kingdom of God. And so if you say, well, I don't think I have any gifts, guess what? That's bad theology. It's just unbiblical. So the text clearly says that uh, spiritual gifts are possessed by every single believer. As a matter of fact, you probably have got more than one. You've probably got, I think most people there's disagree on this, but I think we can argue safely that there's probably a gift mix where you've got some primary gifts and some lesser gifts. And so you've kind of got a unique gift mix. And so the reality is, again, not only has God equipped you for effective ministry and called you to it, you can express that and do it in such a way, literally, that no other Christian on the face of the planet can do it. And that should be exciting. I'm looking at your face this morning. I don't know if some of you are that excited about that, right? 
that God has called and equipped in a very unique way. Only I can express those spiritual gifts are possessed by every single believer. Second reality about spiritual gifts we find in this passage is, okay, I've got it. I get that. I mean, listen, every single parallel passage on spiritual gifts says the same thing. You've got gifts, you've got graces, you've got manifestations of the spirit all described. I'm, listen, I'm there. But what, what's the point of it? I mean, is it to show off? Is it just to go out and build this kind of you know, ministry for myself to exalt myself? Well, let's look again at chapter seven, because he goes on and describes what it's there for. Verse seven. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one. Everybody's got it. Who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? For the profit of all. For the profit of all. Now, if you would ask me as a pastor, you said, hey, what's the greatest or one of the greatest challenges facing the local church in our current American culture? What I would tell you is this. It's consumerism. It's the idea of, listen, I need this and I want this program and I want these kind of sermons and I want this kind of music and I want this for my kids and I want these and I want this and I want this and I want this. And so the goal so so often is a pastor is pushing back and saying, hey, listen, you don't exist for yourself. You and I exist to be spent out for the kingdom of God. It's not about us. And so, so much of our time is spent out. And so, it, listen, and I'm just going to be honest with you, it can get discouraging sometimes. You ask any staff member on any church and say, hey, do you ever get discouraged sometimes by people who are, can have a consumer mentality? And they say, oh, it can wear on me so bad I can get so frustrated. I, I saw recently a promo for a new church. They were a church plant and they just they recognized this. They say, hey, listen, that's American culture. And, and we're just we're not going to push back. We're just tired of it. And so we're just going to, you know, if you can't beat them, just kind of join them. And so, so we're just kind of kind of cater that. And listen, I've heard that thousands of people have been showing up. Do we have that promo uh, clip here that we, we can watch of that? Yeah, this is that, that church. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week. And by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guy. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church. But we sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a bus and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Meet church where it's all about you. Just do not email me after church and ask for their website, okay? Where's that at? But the reality is, is that so many times we're pushing back against that. But look at what verse 7 said. Chapter 12, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Everybody's got the gift. Why? For the profit of all. And so the reason God has gifted you is not for yourself, not to advance your cause or your agenda, but it's to benefit those serving alongside you in the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12 uh, gives the same truth through one of Paul's favorite analogies, that of the body. Romans 12 says this, just as each of us have a, has a body with many members and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. 
And so what he's saying is, listen, you have a spiritual gift and the whole point of it is to play your part in the body of Christ to build up the local church, to strengthen the local church so that it can move the gospel down the field in a more effective and powerful way. Heard to put this way, that someone said that when God got ready to organize the church, he didn't set up a dictatorship with a pastor at the head. He didn't set up a democracy where everyone had an equal say in every decision. When God got ready to organize the church, he set up a body with Christ as the head and each Christian as a part of the body. So spiritual gifts are to build up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts also are a pathway to discover purpose. Part of finding your purpose in life is finding your place in the body of Christ. Why did God create me? What am I here for? How does God want to use my giftedness? And there's no feeling like that in the world. When God uses you in a great way or a smaller way to, to see him and partner with him when he's changing lives for the glory of God. You know, we've got a, one of our members, uh, Tim Pitcher, is a missionary with Athletes in Action. And so right now he's at the Olympics right now doing evangelism amongst the Olympic community. I mean, how cool is that? But a few weeks ago, he got to baptize one of his sons. And uh, he, when he baptized, he kind of had an idea. He said, hey, I'd like to do this. What do you think? I said, ah, that would be great. And so before he baptized his son, he said, listen, everyone who's here, who's ever watched him in the nursery, listen to verses from him in Awana, work with him in children's church. Everyone who's ever here, who's ever served that capacity with him, would you stand up today? And dozens of people around the room stood up. You know what he was saying? You have a part of what's going on today. You, you played a role, whether it's a small or a great role, in partnering with God as he changed this young man's life for his glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was incredible. It was so powerful. And so the question is this. Would you ever get to stand up at anyone's baptism? Would you ever get to stand up and they would say, you know, at, at their eulogy, would they say, you know what, uh, so-and-so has served them, had such an incredible spiritual impact. They may not even known it, but behind the scenes, they were just encouraging them. Listen, if that's not the case, then you need to start today because that's exactly why God created you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And here's another way to think about this idea of spiritual gifts. It's kind of like your personal job description from God. Spiritual gifts are the signposts that point the way towards the will of God. And so if you're here and you have the gift of giving, the Bible talks about that, and you have resources and you contribute those to missionary work and kingdom work and use that, then every single time God uses that gift to advance the kingdom, then guess what? You just discovered and took another step in the will of God for your life. If you have the gift of ministry and kind of behind the scenes and someone's doing some stuff and they're, they're going to do some speaking, teaching, singing, whatever, and you do all the work behind the scenes and someone receives Christ, then guess what? In a small way, behind the scenes where no one but God watches, you got a part of that. And you took a step forward in the will of God for your life. And someone said wisely, we're made to make a contribution, not just to consume. God made you to make a difference. You know, there's so much talk about elongating life and how do we do that and how do we with the modern science and medicine and all those kinds of things and how do we extend the duration of life and can I just say while I appreciate that can I just say with you this morning that the most important thing about your life is not the duration it's the donation that some folks can live a long time and it's all about them and they never make any difference for the kingdom of God and some people can live for just a short time and have an incredible impact on the kingdom and so it's not the duration of your life that matters it's the donation that counts and when you get a hold of that reality, that God wants to use me to make a difference 
and that my life's not about duration, it's about donation for the kingdom, it will radically change your idea of serving Christ in the local church. And no longer will you say, how long do I have to serve? You'll thank people for inviting you the privilege of using your gifts in the body of Christ. I've heard that so many times. How, how, well, I, I, I'm interested in helping, but, but how long would I have to serve? And I've just kind of developed a pat answer on that. All right. And so maybe you could write that down. That way, the next time someone asks you to serve, you, you just kind of you already know the answer. In a OK, here, here's the answer. Are you ready? Write this down until Jesus comes back. Until everyone hears, until the gospel is made known among the nations, that's how long God expects you to serve. Don't ever ask me. They'll just write that down because probably safe not to ask me that, okay? And so I get the privilege of partnering with God in His work. Let me tell you the last truth about spiritual gifts is this. Spiritual gifts are worthless if not used. Worthless. If not used. First, Peter, chapter four, verse 10 says this, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as listen, as good stewards. When we hear that word stewardship in church. We've been conditioned that we hear stewardship. That means finances. I'm to be a good money manager. I'm to give generously and avoid debt and save and all those kind of things. But the reality is stewardship is not about money. Stewardship is about management. That's what a steward is, is a manager. And so when it comes to my money, listen, God owns it all. And I'm his steward or his manager. When it comes to my spiritual gift, God sovereignly chose it and deposited it at the point of salvation. He gave it, but I'm to manage or to be good steward of that gift. And so the question is not, am I a steward? The question is, am I a good steward or a faithful steward? Verse 6, and there are diversities of activities, but in the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of it all. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. What do you say in verse 6? It's for the profit of all. God chose it. Verse 11, why? For the profit of all. Here's this category of gifts, and I've got to find my gift. Why? For the profit of all. You know what being a good steward of your gift is? It's using it for the advancement of the gospel and for the profit of all. Because a spiritual gift is worthless if it's not used. A believer not using their gifts in ministry for the local church is like Babe Ruth going to bat but never having anything in his hands. All that potential. What if he had a bat? What if he could swing? Can you imagine how far the ball would go? What records would he have said, you know, but can you imagine that going to play consistently and all that potential says this is the greatest slugger that's ever lived during that time period, maybe of all times. And walking to the plate every time and never a bat in his hand, you say, what a waste. Can I tell you that a Christian not using their gifts is like Babe Ruth standing in the batter's box, never holding a bat. All that potential wasted. So many times people have talked about using spiritual gifts. And I've always wondered this, why, why, why people aren't using their gifts. Why, why are we not deploying? Why are we not challenging people in that area? And I've heard all kinds of reasons. Sometimes people are just ignorant. They don't, they don't understand this idea that God has gifted me. And, and we can go a lot more in depth and walk through different gifts and gift tests and all those things. And I've done those. and They're, they're profitable. So some people are just ignorant. I, I didn't know. I didn't realize. I thought God gifted some and I didn't have a gift. And I, you know, I can't speak or sing. We think those are the only gifts or vehicles for gifts. And I, I didn't know. Some people are just too busy. 
And they say, I just can't squeeze another thing in my schedule. And here in suburbia, guess what? We can't squeeze another thing in our schedule sometimes. But can I share a word with you this morning? Listen, you can't do it all. You understand that? You can't do it all. Despite what the commercial says, despite what the magazines say, you can't do it all. Let me tell you some good news. It's not all worth doing. But guess what? Using my gift for the glory of Jesus Christ, it's worth doing and it's worth clearing my calendar because it's one thing that's worth doing. So some people just schedules are overloaded. Some people, and I believe this is common, they hear this teaching. They understand this idea of giftedness biblically or theologically, but emotionally they just can't get there. They just can't ever imagine God taking their talents and as small as they are and and using that as a vehicle. They just can't see God using them to impact anyone else's life in any kind of significant way. And so the fear of failure paralyzes them to the pew. And they just sit there and go, you know, I I just here's what I can do. And I mean, that's not going to make any difference. What's the point? A few decades ago, let me tell you a story of someone using the gifts. Listen, I I could tell stories for the next 20 minutes. Of people using the gifts in insignificant ways where God impacted in a huge way by just someone being faithful with a little, little gift. There's a lady that uh, she's driving to a church. It's in Indiana, a large church uh, right outside of South Bend. And uh, her daughter started going to youth group. And, and so some people invited her and they said, hey, you, you should probably come. And your daughter enjoys it. And we would love to get to know you. And she just said, you know what? Church is not for me. I tried it a couple times. I had a bad experience. And uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled my daughter's going. She's made friends. I've noticed a change in her behavior. She's more respectful, you know, fill, fill in the blank. And so she said, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to drive her there. And so she would drive every single week and she'd sit in a parking lot while her daughter went to church on Sunday morning. And the parking lot greeters, the attendants out there, they just loved on her. They would bring her coffee. They would talk to her. Finally, she felt a little trust with them. They said, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? And, and so they began to pray for her. And they would follow up and say, hey, we've been praying for you. What's going on? And build this relationship. And she said, you know what? She said, I, I just began to sense inside myself. If the people outside were this incredible, I wonder what the people inside were like. So she went in that first time, sat in the back, came in late, left early. And eventually, and I think you kind of know how the story plays out. She gave her life to Christ and she stood up in the baptistry when she gave her public testimony. And they said, who do you want to thank for influencing you for the glory of God? She said, I want to thank the people that work in the parking lot because it were not for them. I would have never walked through the doors of this church and given my life to Jesus Christ. Small act, huge impact. Let me tell you one more. A few decades ago, two teenage boys tried to come into a church service at night, but it was packed. Couldn't find a seat. So they turned around and just decided we'll leave and try again another night. But one usher said, come on, guys. I'll find you a seat. Took his job serious. And that usher personally escorted them down to the center and set them in the middle and found them two seats right down in the front. And that night, both of those boys accepted Christ and became Christians And maybe you've heard of one of them. His name was Billy Graham. Person using a gift, gift of hospitality, using it in a small, insignificant way. God allowed them to be a part of that story that's changed millions of lives for eternity. You say, Brad, my contribution would be so, so little, so little. But that's how you feel this morning. And I've got some good news for you. Little is much when God is in it. 
Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great. If God is in it, and He'll not forget His own. Cause little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. Cause there's a crown, and you can win it if you go. In Jesus' name. God wants to use you to change the world if you let Him. Would you bow your heads this morning?